Welcome, welcome to Freaked Out with your co-host, Liz and Landon. What's up, everybody? Today, guys, we have the episode of the Oklahoma Girl Scout Murders. This is a case that we've been wanting to work on for a while, too. Yes, this one was one that I was very interested in. I also find any sort of camping type of stories or a case very intriguing. I personally have an interest in this one as well. Absolutely. This is definitely one of those cases that have stuck out in the back of my mind, basically from last year since we started. I believe someone brought this one up to my attention like within the first five weeks of having this podcast, and it was always there to get done, you know? This case is from the 70s, and it's an unsolved case still to this day. This murder took place on the morning of June 13th, 1977. It happened at Camp Scott in Mays County, Oklahoma. The victims were three Girl Scouts between the ages of 8 and 10, who were not only raped, but also murdered. Their bodies were then left on the trail leading to the campsite showers. This case was classified as solved initially. Everyone thought that it was a guy named Gene Leroy Hart, a local jail escapee with a history of violence, rape, and he was also arrested. However, Hart was eventually acquitted two years later after the jury anonymously returned the verdict of not guilty. In a more recent events in 2022, it was announced that the DNA test in this case, although officially inconclusive, strongly suggests Hart's involvement in this crime. Now, for those of you who are very unaware of this case, let's talk about all the details that led us to this date. Less than two months before the murders, during an on-site training session, a counselor at Camp Scott discovered that her belongings had been ransacked. Her donuts had been stolen, and inside the empty donut box was a handwritten note stating in capital letters, and I quote, We are on a mission to kill three girls in one tent. The director of this camp treated the note as a prank, because kids do stupid shit sometimes, and they completely disregarded it. I mean, of course they did. Makes sense, though. Kids do pranks all the time. When I was younger, I definitely liked to do pranks. I still like to do pranks to this day. We did things to get reactions out of people. That's why pranks happen. So it makes sense why they disregarded this little bit of information. I want to talk about these girls individually and then move on to what took place that night. Now, let's start off with Lori Lee Farmer. Now, Lori was a very smart kid, fun, loving, the oldest of five kids. She was someone who loved babies and she was able to skip the second grade as she was someone who was able to score 130 on an IQ test, and she tested at a mental age of 10 years old. She has never been a Girl Scout or even been to Girl Scout summer camp before, but just before her ninth birthday, Lori asked her mother if she could attend the overnight camp. According to her mother, her mom decided for her to go to this camp versus the YMCA camp, and she regrets that every single day of her life now. I mean, of course she does, but it's definitely not her fault in any way, one way or another. And I hope we can help provide a little bit of closure and pieces of this story to her. She was also the youngest of the three girls, might I add. Michelle is the next girl on the list. Michelle was a pretty shy kid. She loved playing soccer and she also loved reading. And from what they say, she also enjoyed schooling. And she was a very fun, loving kid as well. 
She had actually been to Camp Scott before and she was there a year previously. She really loved her plants and she loved violets and she made sure that her mother took care of them before she left to go on her camping trip. And lastly, Doris Denise Milner. She also did go by the name Denise. So some people will call her that and we're going to call her Denise as well for her preference. She was born on February 5th, 1967, and she was 10 years old at the time, living in Tulsa, Oklahoma with her parents, Betty and Walter. Her mother was a hospital lab technician and her father was a police officer. She was beyond brilliant and she was in a special school. Her and her sister Kathleen were very close and they enjoyed spending a lot of time together. Her trip to Camp Scott would be her first camping trip, and she actually did things the old-fashioned way. She sold Girl Scout cookies so that she could make the money to go to this trip. She was also one of the only African-American girls to attend the camp as well. Denise grew some anxiety surrounding going, and uh, she was worried about the unknown when it came to going to camp. It was sad that a few of her friends that she had planned to go with on this trip ended up not being able to attend, which is the reason she ended up not wanting to go. Her mother basically told her to give it a try. It would only be a couple of weeks. And if she didn't like it, they would come and pick her up at any point. So all these parents must have felt so much guilt surrounding sending their kids to this camp. Oh, yeah. I also want to point out that Denise had a very hard time coming through to me. But luckily, she finally did, which is great. But I wanted to give you guys, you know, a heads up. They don't always necessarily come through, and this being one of those moments. But I did finally get her. All right, let's talk about how they discovered the bodies. Now around 7 p.m. on Sunday, June 12, 1977, the night before camp started, the girls huddled in their tents. Obviously, amongst them were the three girls, Laura Lee, Denise, and Michelle. They were all the residents of the Broken Arrow in Oklahoma, which is a suburb of Tulsa. They were sharing a tent number seven in the Camp Kawaya unit, which was located the furthest from the camp counselor's tent, And the showers were also in the area that had their particular tent. Which, by the way, as you're making comments about this, they're popping in and giving me just a little bit more information. Now, at the beginning of this camp, the kids can get like the opportunity to kind of choose like their bedmates or their friends. And I feel like all three of these girls didn't really know each other well, and they kind of got stuck with each other. And then I honestly feel as well, Because these kids were not necessarily, I don't know, the attention-seeking kids, they also got shafted to that particular tent. That's just what I wanted to point out. But you know what? It, It does make sense why this particular tent was targeted. This was the last that they had ever seen these girls alive. Now around 6 a.m. June 13th, the camp counselor on her way to the shower saw a girl's body in her sleeping bag in the wooded area just outside of the tent area. So then they also discovered that the remainder of the girls were also not in their tent. I used to go to Girl Guides camp, which is similar to Girl Scouts. It's just the Canadian version of it. And I remember us all huddling in one tent. Sometimes we had adults amongst us. Other times we did not. Sometimes we had the experience of getting a lot of attention. And sometimes we had the experience of being alone. And honestly, these were mostly the best times of my life when I was a kid. I loved being away from my family and getting that unsupervised dynamic. Now, when your parents aren't around, you kind of get a taste of being an adult on your own with your friends. I always really enjoyed it. I could never even imagine anything like this ever happening, though. 
So the counselors began a search. They discovered the girls from tent number seven had been murdered. Two bodies were inside a sleeping bag, crumbled towards the bottom of the bag, and one body was visible on the outside. They had left a trail leading to the showers about 150 yards from the tent. Testing showed that these girls had been bludgeoned and strangled, and all three girls were also raped. And a large red flashlight was also found on top of one of the girl's bodies. A smudged fingerprint was also found on the lens, but it was never identified as it was too smudged for a positive identification. There was also a footprint, approximately 9.5 shoe size, and was found in blood in the tent. Between 2.30 and 3.30 a.m. on June 13th, somebody nearby had reportedly heard quite a bit of traffic on the remote road near the camp. Right away, Camp Scott was evacuated and later shut down. They had uh, one suspect in mind, Gene Leroy Hart. He was born November 27, 1943, and he had been at large since 1973 after escaping the Mays County Jail. He had been convicted of kidnapping and raping two pregnant women, as well as four counts of first-degree burglary. He was raised approximately a mile from Camp Scott and a member of the Cherokee Nation. He was arrested within a year at the home of the Cherokee Medicine Man. He was tried on March 20th, 1979, after a local sheriff pronounced him with a thousand percent certainty that he was guilty with this crime. However, a local jury acquitted him. But as a convicted rapist and jail escapee, he still had 305 years of his 308-year sentence left to serve in Oklahoma State Penitentiary. On June 4, 1979, two years after the murder, he ended up dying of a heart attack at the age of 35 as he was lifting weights and jogging in the prison exercise yard. Pity. What a shame. A convicted serial rapist dead in jail. I know I'm crying about it. Now, two of the family members later on did sue the camp and the camp counselors, indicating neglect in that the tent number seven being a ridiculous amount of meters away from the counselor's tent, but they did not win the civil suit. I totally understand where these family members are coming from. Why would you have a tent so far away that the kids between ages of 8 and 10 are that far away? It just blows my mind. Obviously, these people didn't think anything was going to happen to these kids. But in reality, if this tent was just moved 60 meters closer to the camp counselors, they would have been at least in an earshot and they could probably hear them screaming. But then again, I remember being a kid and I always wanted to choose the cabin or the tent furthest away from the adults so we can get away with whatever we plan to do. Well, let's do your magic. I know you had mentioned earlier you had been able to connect with all three of the girls. Are they ready to start talking about their story? Absolutely. Now, Laura Lee was the first one to step up and communicate with me. She wanted to paint an entire picture of what took place that evening, and I believe the other girls will step in on their own little details from time to time. The first thing I'm being shown is the fun that the three of them did end up having. I know that they were kind of not, you know, best of friends, but they started to bond and Laura Lee and Michelle and Denise instantly became friends and they all had athletic abilities. They were all very nervous about being there at the same time and the three of them played a lot together even during that time that it was so small. 
Even before they spent the evening together in their tent, they show me that they were playing like soccer and they were playing other sports, but they just wanted to be on each other's teams because they were tent mates. Well, that makes sense. It's only natural for kids to flock to people that they're going to be spending the majority of their time with. I bet they had a good time, though, beforehand. They show me they really did. And they were playing with each other's hair. They were hugging each other. They were showing each other their favorite, like, stuffies and favorite items and talked about their family. It was truly an experience that all three of them loved from the moment they got there. Well, what happened next? Lori shows me she was getting really tired It had been an awfully long day for her, and she wasn't used to so much in one evening. But she keeps showing me that the three girls decided to get into the tent, and they were informed also to do so. But it doesn't look like they decided to sleep at this point. They decided that they wanted to stay up and talk a little bit longer. Well, definitely, because it's camp, you know. No parents, no adults, nobody around. Who wants to go to bed (laughs) at that time? (laughs) Exactly. Now, I believe Laura Lee was the most scared, I would say, in the sense of, you know, the dark and outdoors and hearing sounds. And Michelle was more of the brave one of the bunch. She was making suggestions for the girls to, like, go to the washroom because it looks as though Laura Lee had to go pee. And I believe the three of them were having conversation on how they were going to accomplish this and also giggling at the same time, trying to make her laugh. Since the washroom was so close, they decided that they were going to go together. Now, Laura Lee was also showing me that she was the one that had to go to the washroom the most. And because she had missed out on going to the washroom previously, she didn't have to go at the time. She did, but I think she was fighting it. And she shows me she was drinking a lot of water and her bladder was rather full, so she could not hold it any longer. I guess that's the only convenience of having a washroom that close to them. Yeah, precisely. Now, even with the washroom being just outside the tent, from what Michelle and Denise show me, they didn't necessarily keep an eye on the distance between the washroom and shower area. And they did have to walk a couple of minutes. But from what the girls show me, they were all in their PJs and giggling about and heading to the washroom and kind of like, you know, checking out the area. I think Laura Lee was pretty scared heading into the washroom, too. When would you say that this time frame took place? I feel like it happened approximately between 10 p.m. and 11 p.m. when the girls decided that they had to go to the washroom. And I would say that they did not leave the tent until about midnight. I also keep seeing that they wanted to make sure that everyone else was like sleeping and that every one of the adults was not around so that they didn't get in trouble because they were informed not to leave the tent at the beginning of this trip for any reason. Well, that's kind of silly. These are children. They have to go to the washroom. I know kids like to get up and go to the washroom randomly throughout the evening and the night, but still making that kind of stipulation is concerning, especially if the kids need some sort of assistance or something that they cut their finger or something bigger. They should be able to leave the tent at least to get an access to an adult. From what the girls show me, there were adults around, but most of these adults were like young teenagers very young adults as well and they weren't mentally there they were hanging out with the kids during the day and partying at nighttime so i think that's another reason that they may have missed throughout the investigation the adults were like completely preoccupied with their own party time i mean i don't blame the kids even the young adults it's a normal thing to do but they were only following instructions when it came to putting these kids in these tents But yeah, they were pretty distracted. If the kids would kind of just show up, they would send them back on their way. 
Well, yeah, that's true. Nobody can blame the adults for the kids' deaths because they did not come to them. But they definitely are contributing to the factor of these children not receiving any help that they did need. Absolutely. So the girls show me that they all headed to the washroom together, hand in hand in hand. And I do believe that there was a flashlight involved on either side. I do not believe that the flashlight was the same flashlight that they found at the campsite, though. As they did approach the washroom, I see a man. Now, this man was potentially having a cigarette. I feel like he was watching these girls as they started walking towards the washroom. From what I can see, he was kind of hidden a little bit, like he was in the darkness of it. And then he kind of poked his hat out as the kids were trailing on. I feel like he was watching the girls as they started walking towards the washroom. And from what I can see, the girls instantly froze. And again, they were scared because they didn't want to get in trouble. They assumed that this man was also a camp counselor. Obviously, why would you be there? And they hadn't met him yet. But basically, they were worried that they were going to have to go home early or something bad was going to happen like that and they would miss out on fun. Well, of course, kids would think that and of course who would think that this man was a serial killer or a rapist like why would they just assume that automatically exactly he put out his cigarette and he told michelle that he was only there to make sure that all the kids were tucked into their beds and okay and he didn't indicate that he was a camp counselor but perhaps maybe a custodian or a janitor The kids accepted that. He told them that he was just cleaning out the washrooms. And I believe there was a mop nearby to solidify his story one way or another. He was also wearing a significant royal blue color, which the kids recognized as a custodian or janitor suit. Well, of course. Now what happened next? Michelle shows me that she didn't have to go to the washroom. So she waited in the entrance while Denise and Laura Lee went inside. And from what she shows me, this man continued to have conversation with her. She found him to be a bit odd, and he was asking her some very inappropriate questions about her nightgown, and she was kind of taken back by it. She shows me that he also was asking about the girls and if they had a pillow fight yet or if they were playing truth or dare. He wanted to know exactly what they were doing in that tent, and she really didn't know how to answer any of these questions because... Although she can understand what he was saying, she just didn't understand why he was asking. And she shows me she kind of went quiet and seemed a little bit concerned. Well, she's definitely a smart cookie. This all just is very sad. Laura Lee and Denise came out of the washroom and the three girls headed to their tent, of course, and they were followed by this despicable creature. And as these girls were walking along, they were consistently bombarded with comments from this guy telling them they look cute in their 90s and that they definitely find some very lovely men to spoil them when they're old enough. He may have even made a comment about sex and having sex. And of course, these poor kids have no idea what the hell's going on. But he just carried on and became more and more uncomfortable as time progressed. So this guy just followed them to their tent then? Yeah, it wasn't much of a distance, but the girls felt like it was forever. I believe that they were struggling to get into the tent as well. I honestly think it was because they were nervous and this guy was making them nervous. And the zipper got caught and this man decided he was going to interject and try to give them a hand. Well, of course he did. What a waste of space. Pretty much. Now, I see the flashlight coming in because I do feel like he put it down so he can help the girls. But from what I see, he gave the flashlight to one of them to hold so he could have the light on the zipper for a moment. 
The girls are all showing me that he opened it and told them to go in. They all got in, of course, and they were very polite kids and thanked him for, you know, his time. And then he started to tell them he was getting cold and wanted to nap with them. Now, from what Denise shows me, she gave him a look of disgust and she also had that stranger danger thought in her head and stated to him that she didn't feel comfortable with an adult male sleeping in her tent and something along the lines of her mother saying that that was not okay and that if he was so cold and tired, he should go in his own tent. He informed them all that he didn't have a tent and that he had to basically sleep wherever he could find room. And he thought that the three of them had room in their tent and reluctantly these girls, without screaming and yelling, allowed him to come in. But they were pretty reluctant. I mean, he basically forced his way through regardless of what they said. These poor kids. The details that come next are just too much for me to talk about, and I'm not going to get in depth with it because what he did, I mean, we all know he raped and killed those girls, but I will give you a couple of details from before and after. From the looks of it, he was very interested in Laura Lee the most. He was very drawn to the blonde hair, and he kept insisting she was gorgeous. I see that he laid down next to her, and from what she shows me, she was huddling in closer to the other girls, and she also shows me that she was starting to whimper because it was very uncomfortable. This is when he decided he was going to take advantage of her, and she shows me he took off her sleeping bag, and then he began to rape and molest her, and so on and so forth. The other two girls were very afraid and crying and pretty loud, and he made some sort of statement to them to all be quiet or he would kill them. He also made a statement about how he knew the devil, and if they weren't good girls, he would send them to hell. Well, the only thing I can say to this is those poor traumatized children, I just don't understand why people feel this is okay to do to kids. Like, no idea. Now, from what I can see, the girls were whimpering, rather loudly and crying and freaking out, including Laura Lee. But from what I also see, Laura Lee was the first one to die because her body could not handle what he was doing. Honestly, none of them could. The other two girls, though, thought she was sleeping. And from what I'm being shown, he did the exact same thing to all three of them. The last one he tried to hurt was Denise. Denise wasn't necessarily somebody he had been planning to rape for whatever reason. I honestly believe it had to do with her ethnicity. I mean, that should have been her saving grace. Absolutely. But because she had seen everything, he knew that she would point fingers at him. He decided to go forward and rape her and murder her as well. But from what I can see, he got spooked. And what Denise shows me, she was still alive as all of this was carrying on. He started to hear a noise and she shows me it could have been a couple of the camp counselors that were maybe doing some rounds or checks on the kids. Looks like there was a man and a woman that might have been fooling around and drinking potentially, but they were just checking to see if everyone was okay and quiet. I don't feel as though they opened the tents. I think they just checked to see if everyone was still in them. And from what Denise shows me, he got spooked. He put his hand over her mouth and then he started to shuffle around. She shows me that once these camp counselors had headed back to their own location, the man proceeded to hurt Denise, rushed out of the tent. That's kind of why he left the boot behind. I see that the kids did scratch him and push him off of them and punch him and they did everything they could do. But he, you know, obviously had a couple of impacting marks on his body, but nothing that could have provided any DNA for them to obtain. Was there anyone else involved with this crime with him? 
I do not believe so. But from what I do believe is that he had raped people at this particular campsite previously, hence the letter. And I feel like this was all planned, but I don't feel like he planned to kill them. This was the first time that he had killed children and he definitely had raped kids in the past. I don't necessarily feel like they were this young though either. They were suspicious of Gene Leroy Hart. Was he in fact the killer? He absolutely was. He was definitely the person that killed and raped these children. (sighs) He knew the camp inside and out. He knew exactly how to sneak in and sneak out without being seen. From what I gather, he would stalk these kids and he would then jerk off in the woods. And then he would just, you know, he was just very interested in the blonde hair, blue eyed girls. And initially, Laura Lee had been the one that had pulled his energy in that direction. From what I see, he fought his urges significantly, but he couldn't help himself. As I was doing this reading with these three kids, I felt like I needed to protect them. And I was incredibly scared that this man would also just show up, but I don't feel him. I do see that maybe his mom, somebody attached to him. I really don't know. Maybe his mom, but it's somebody here in the background giving extra bits of pieces of information She was pretty abusive towards him, and it looks as though his father was pretty abusive towards him as well. So she sort of felt like it was her responsibility to a degree, and she basically is filling in the beats and pieces that the girls don't necessarily know. This woman had lived in the shadows of guilt for a very long time and also released this information, which is kind of shocking. I've never had a relative of a murder come through before, so that was kind of from a different perspective. But, you know, I'll receive it. Well, that's pretty cool. I'm glad that she did step forward to give you a little bit of information. Obviously, they didn't have enough to convict him, but it was definitely him, as you're saying. I'm glad the man died, though, in sense of no longer being on this earth. But I definitely feel like he deserved to sit in his cell for that 300 years. Oh, yeah. From what his mom showed me, he is definitely in a a cell in a very dark place. So she says he's definitely getting punished even now. He died obviously before she did, but she was very, very happy to see where he was. Well, that makes me feel a little better. The girls, of course, their families never really got over it. I mean, some of their family members have passed on and are with them now, but they do want everyone to know that they had a beautiful life on the other side. They grew into these beautiful women And they are definitely meant for more. And I know for a fact that all three of them will be coming back once their family members have passed on to create a new life for themselves. So that part makes me happy. Will they ever solve this case or consider it solved at some point in time? Absolutely. They're actually getting pretty close to solving this case now. And I see that the smudged fingerprint They will go back to that and be able to do something with that new technology to kind of fix it. I also feel like there's some DNA somewhere that they don't necessarily know they have at the moment where they're going to be able to test it and they will end up being able to pin it back onto Gene again, rightfully so. But I feel as though the family members will continue to live their lives confused, but everyone will get some justice in some way, even beyond the living. Well, is there anything else that the girls would like to discuss or speak about before we go? Laura Lee was his prized possession in a way, and she shows me that he had taken some of her hair. He may have even ripped it out from her head or cut it off with a knife. 
but she shows me he took a piece of her hair with him and he had it for a very long time until he was arrested. She says that the hair is still at large, which she thinks that wherever he was hiding, the hair is still there and could potentially be picked up. That's her bit of information she wanted to put out there. But other than that, the rest of them are pretty happy to talk about their story in a bigger way. Well, we do appreciate these girls coming forward and talking about all the details. I can only imagine how traumatizing this would be for anyone, especially kids, to discuss this freely, let alone three little kids. But next week, guys, we have Juice World coming out which will be on the exclusive side of the podcast so if you would like to listen make sure you sign up to become a patron if you have any questions about signing up or the patron side please come to our freaked out facebook group it's actually called freaked out podcast on facebook we can help you out there we have quite a bit of people there we answer right away it has been very exciting month for us so far and we have so much more to come guys until next time stay freaked out (laughs) Oh, <laughs>